if you are not careful and you let yourself be captured by the news and all the noise, it can confuse you into believing that there is more wrong in our society than right with it, that there are more selfish people than selfless people. It is easy to fall into this trap because that's how traps work. They are designed to bring you in and keep you there. The antidote to this comes when you realize that the world isn't full of traps. It's full of goodness, a goodness that far outweighs the bad. Every day there are more people that you know, that you meet, that you pass by, who focus their efforts and energy into helping others, in service to others, to making their country, their community better. Just as the saying goes, iron sharpens iron. We draw in strength from service, and our service spreads strength to others. The people who spread that strength often blend in with the noise of the world. They are the teachers, the doctors, the nurses, the veterans, the police officers, and so many others. We refuse to listen to the noise, and we want to spread our common goodness by telling the stories of service of everyday people from our citizen servants. This is the Strength from Service Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Strength from Service. We appreciate you joining us each and every week, whether it's uh, on the air or wherever you get your favorite podcast. My name is Jake Palmer. As always, joined by our illustrious crew slash team slash, I don't know, goof-offs around here. But uh, <laughs> uh, Mike McLaughlin is with us, as always, and Jack Zimmerman. Who is going to do the honors of announcing, or introducing, I should say, our yeah, I guest? Think Mike's, I think Mike's going to do the honors. Yeah, yeah, Jack just pointed to me, so that, that means that's my response. We're very high Mike's better at intros than I am. Yeah, I don't, I don't know so much about that. You know. uh, anyway, so our guest tonight is Jeff Wurzel. Uh, he is a St. Peter native, uh, grew up, graduated there, just learned class of 95. It's a year uh, before my sister. Uh, got into <laughs> law enforcement. Per per random. Random. Love you, Liz. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you talked about your purple heart on the last one. I can talk about my sister. Uh, I happen to know your sister. Too. Oh, yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> it's good. Contrary to what people say about the Irish. You see how uh, I filtered myself there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're on, we're on a great start so far. So anyways, Jeff Wurzel uh, has a long history in law enforcement, uh, also the Minnesota River Valley Drug Task Force prior, right? Did I get that Correct. long uh, phrase right? Uh, now currently serving as the Blue Earth County Sheriff, was elected in 2022 and then took the seat of office. You took it in December, didn't you? I did, two days before the end of the year. Yeah, because the previous sheriff retired early, right. correct, or before the, the next term started. So Correct. Uh, and now he's been serving that, uh, and I would say serving in a, a well-functioning capacity. Uh, I've had a lot of interactions, not uh, as... Uh, somebody that's been being brought in, but as a, a supporting uh, unit of government uh, and the veteran side of things with Jeff, too, as well. And with that, welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Good to be here. Woo! Hey. hey. Yeah, sir. Uh, crowd goes wild. Yeah. yeah. The crowd goes crazy, that's for sure. So, um, all right, let's start uh, Let's start fairly early. What? Do, why law enforcement? Was that something that you always had a passion for or desire, or is that I, something that kind of came later? No, no, I grew up um, with it. My dad was uh, with Nicollet County Sheriff's Office. Well, first St. Peter PD, uh, and then Nicollet County Sheriff's Office for... Um, until 2002, I believe he retired. So he had 33 and a half years in. That's pretty common, though, right? You start in a, like a local PD to start getting some experiences. Yep. You try to. I mean, I shouldn't say necessarily being a city cop isn't necessarily a, a, a 
minimizing that job, but but the sheriff's, know, the sheriff's office. Sheriff's is better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're right. I started in the city of North Mankato actually um, when I got my first full time job. But um, yeah, I didn't. I actually worked in Nicola County as a part-time deputy and custody officer for a couple of years. And uh, I, the sheriff at the time, Jim Coleman, offered me a job, but I didn't want to work because my dad was still there. Didn't want to work for him, be the, oh, you're the boss's kid. That's how you got the job. So sure. I decided to go out on my own and uh, got hired in North Cato. So, yeah, but that's kind of, I always admired what my dad did and liked his friends, liked to listen to the stories. You know, deer camp, we hunted with uh, with his with his buddies who were cops and stuff. Sure. So. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what got me interested in it. So, you, I mean, you grew up around it. I mean, when you when you decided you were going to go that route, was there any uh, reservations or resistance on your dad's part of, you know, asking, are you sure this is something you want to do? or Not at all. Um, back then, um, cops weren't the Antichrist like they are now, you know, in the public eye. Um, so they, is, this, is this, sorry to cut you off, is this like 90, 99? I gra- actually, I graduated high school in 95. Okay. Um, I was accepted to MSU in the law enforcement program in 94. So they knew, you know, I knew where I was going. Um, and then I graduated from MSU with my Bachelor of Science in Law Enforcement in 99. So so even, so before the, you know, political turmoil and uh, crap that surrounds uh, law enforcement, you know, today and that, that stuff you're dealing with too, but then also pre-9-11, so a lot of the other right. advanced and expanded role of law enforcement, you know, hadn't really kicked in when you were getting into the field yet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it just, um, social media was non-existent. So, I mean, yeah, there were probably bad instances of use of force. There was all kinds of stuff out there, but you didn't see it. It wasn't all over the place. Um, and, you know, small town St. Peter and even Mankato, um, cops were respected, and it was an honorable profession like it still is today. But it was viewed, uh, I mean, when I applied for my first job, um, in, uh, I applied for a job in Washington County. I think there was 1,200 people looking for two deputy spots. Jeez. Um, when I applied in North Cato, I think there was 30-some people. Wow. Um, now you can't even get two to apply for, for two positions. So, yeah, it seems to be pretty con, um, competitive to get that those officers in the door from department to department. Too. We're just stealing from each other. Now. Yeah, yeah, it seems seems pretty uh, common is what you see too. So, but anyways, so uh, I mean, we can come back to a lot of that too. But uh, you get your uh, initial full time gig with North Cato, North Cato PD, in January eighteenth, uh, I think, of two thousand. <laughs> and. And so for, you know, me and me and Jack, and I mean, Jake's had experience uh, with law enforcement riding in the back. <laughs> different, uh, different, yeah, yeah, different, different. Uh, me, me and Jack obviously don't have any actual law enforcement experience to some military, which is obviously different. But what what is like the average, you know, initial first gig for a, a cop when you're coming into a, a city uh, job like that? Uh, like for me? Yeah. Uh, I was hired as a patrol officer. So um, I had a little bit of experience from working part time in Nicollet and Lusur County. Um, but you know, I, I, I knew I went in there like I didn't know anything. And, um, actually my first training officer was Dave Lang, who's now the sheriff of Nicola County. Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, yeah. And I knew Dave from, um, cause he worked for my dad for years. And, um, so it was a real easy transition going in there and it was pretty comfortable. So, you know, I was pretty young then. Um, do you remember like that first night going out on your first day or whatever it was getting in the car on your own and not having anybody riding along with you yeah, and I walking up to your first window? Yep. And- Yep, it, it's uh, pretty, uh, yeah, you're nervous, you're excited. Um, yeah. But I also remember the first night Dave picked me up um, to train me in. Uh, he picked me up my apartment, we were headed down to the PD, and we passed a car um, It was obviously speeding on Lookout Drive. And I said, are we going to stop him? And he said, no, the Super Bowl starts pretty soon. <laughs> so um, that was Sunday night. So, yeah, that was yeah. kind of cool. 
Well, he had a little human uh, <laughs> aspect to him. You know, hey, yeah, yeah. The guy's trying to catch the game. Yeah, but uh, anyway, yeah, it is. Um, the, the first day you're on your own, it's um, it's it's a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of a start of your career, you know. I mean, it's it's yeah. all that, but at the same time, I mean, uh, it doesn't matter if it's your first window or your 3,000th right. window, anything can go wrong, right, too, at the same time. I can right? tell you, you pay a lot more attention to what's going on once you're first versus your 3,000th. Yeah, you, you start, start you guys get complacent, yeah. Yeah, um, but I kind of could compare it to when you know when you first get your driver's license when you get to go drive by yourself um legally with permission mm-hmm. you know, for the yeah. first time by yourself it's pretty cool yeah so. and so how long for you you know back then how long was that initial training phase before you got to be solo i think it was just about two weeks with north cato two or three weeks because i had already been trained in um in nicollet and Lisua county sure um for shorter stints but they knew that i had some experience and uh, the training um training wasn't as long then it wasn't yeah. the technology it wasn't so much technology you had to deal with and you were, you were super confident coming out like if you could handle any situation when you, when you um, came out or were you a little i was well i needed the advice of some people that have been there longer for, sure. for a while but otherwise i was pretty confident yeah i felt i felt the same way i remember like uh you know being over in afghanistan and stuff like that your first patrol and stuff you're you're like i'm good you know right. i mean i got this you know and then Stuff hits a fan, you kind of look to your, to right. your guys like, we're going this way, right? Yeah. You know, like, right. uh, uh, you're so confident and so, you know, believe in yourself, and then all of a sudden stuff hits the fan. You still, I mean, you, you trust your training, but you're still peeking over at the other guy to make sure you're, exactly. you know. How, mu- yeah. how much, because you know, I'd say that's a, you know, from, from not knowing your side, I would say that's probably a difference because we, I mean, we had a lot more hands-on training and very little class time, but from outside looking in, Seems like there's a lot more class time for you guys until you start doing your your actual ride-alongs and training stuff too. Yeah, there's the skills component of college too, which was all summer long. Um, I think it's four months every day. Sure. And that's when you do your your hands-on stuff. But there's a lot of classroom. Sure. Yeah, yeah and so that just once you actually you know go real world and by yourself too, you know that. Yeah, there's that learning curve, I guess, on our side, but even. When we got in country and you did your right seat, left seat for maybe a week with the unit that was there, maybe two weeks with the small unit leaders included. Right. But you had been training hands-on at ranges with your guys for, you know, if you're doing a four-year thing, you probably spent 75% of your time training out in the field on the range and 25% class, <laughs> right. classroom. Sure. Obviously, different environment in the uh, military different versus missions, law. Sure. Yes, oh, 100%. Contrary to what, yeah, know, and now our there. training uh, program is sixteen weeks, so okay. 12, twelve to sixteen weeks, depending for, on for the sheriff's for department? the sheriff's office. Yep. Okay, so when a new deputy comes on, yep, if they are brand new green, it's at least sixteen weeks, and and sometimes we can cut them at twelve if they, you know, like we've hired a lot of guys with experience this last time, and right. they were good to go in twelve. So sure, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so they so and with with that training program, then is. Are they shadowing other deputies then too and going on? Uh, they are with, they no, they're in the car with another deputy for um, at least 12 weeks. Oh, wow. Um, I think the first day they're passenger seat, otherwise they're driving the rest of the time. Sure, you want them to get around the county, yep. you know, they can get to the calls, they know where they're going. Yep. And that's not, nothing I went through. When I started with the sheriff's office, I had two and a half years on with North Cato. I think I spent three shifts with one of the other deputies and they said you're good to go you know <laughs> sure so, good luck yeah. yeah you know go go don't get lost uh, how much so. has technology evolved since oh, it's uh the beginning it went from having no computer in the car to if you don't have one you can't do your job oh wow um that you can't write a ticket you can't there's so many things that the car's the office now and they do the reports in there it's just 
technology is a, uh, is a must. And, it's, and that's, I mean, that's probably better for the citizen though, right? The cops, cops it is, it's always, better for everybody. He's yep. always mobile yep. in a sense, you know, you don't have to worry about him getting on a building to get to a call. He's. Yep. And, and yeah. the cameras, there's, you know, um, I did have a camera in my car for the last two or three years I was on the road before yeah. I went to the task force, but now the cameras in the car, cameras on the, on the body. No, there was no cameras when you started. No. Not even in the I, car. No, no. Yeah, that's a big change. We always used to joke, um, the judge actually believed what we said when we raised our right hand in court. Um, now, <laughs> if it's not on video, it didn't happen. Didn't happen, yeah. yeah. Proof or it didn't happen, right? right. <laughs> it's kind of been that way forever. Yeah. Uh, cameras um, a <clears throat> blessing or a curse or a little both? Um, you know, they're a blessing. Um, they are because they've, they've, they save a complaint um, many more times than they ever prove a cop did something wrong. Sure. So, um, yeah, if you're serving with integrity, you don't care about a camera. Exactly. You know, and, and yeah, sometimes there's, you know, cops lose their temper and use language. Sure. Um, I'm probably guilty of that, too. Yeah. Um, and that's not what, what I'm concerned with. You're concerned with the use of force incidents. And, yeah, and, and the fact that they act professional. Um, and, and you know, everything I've ever reviewed with my guys, it's never been anything but professional. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Have you found yourself in, um, in a situation working with, and you know, before, you know, in, your, in your, all your years where you're like, man, this doesn't feel professional, and, and found yourself in a situation, like, morally challenged? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you always, yep. It sometimes uh, yeah, well, I'm not sometimes, asking for particulars and stuff like right. That. Sometimes just, you walk away going, I wish I wouldn't have said or done that, and, and sometimes you're yeah, you know, or even your buddies, your, your you know, partner going, yeah. what the hell? why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. just say that. Yeah. So it happens, you know. It's this we you, you see a lot of stuff. You go there's a lot of different emotions that you can you can go through in just a ten hour shift. You know, you, do you try to mentor your guys then, like with uh, you know I you know with us in Afghanistan, you never really had to go home, so you never had to shut off. Right. You know, you were always on. You know, and if yep. you went off, that's when you're in trouble. You know. Where you guys are supposed to go home, supposed to help coach your kids' baseball team, supposed to you know be a good husband, do all these things, you know? How do you how do you, do, you, do you help mentor guys, or how do you how do you shut off those things when you get home? It's tough. Um, it, it when you're young and you're new, it's really tough to shut it off. Um, when when we get together with some of the young guys, they want to talk about work and talk about work and talk about work and tell stories, and I'm like, well, that's how I was when I was young. They can't shut it off, but you tell them that they have to. Because yeah. eventually it's going to kill them. Um, yeah. It's going to stress stress themselves out. Um, their, their wife doesn't want to hear about that all the time. And right. But so it's it's tough. It's something you got to learn. Um, it's really tough for me to shut it off now because you know if my phone's always ringing. I'm always checking emails and right because um, I don't really have a. It's off a different. Duty. It's kind of a different uh, role in a sense too. You're not out there wrestling the bad guy so much anymore right. as you are dealing with everything else. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's nice to just take vacation and. Get away and yeah, um, try to go a place with no phone service and trust that your Be off command staff is gonna is gonna take care of it. Right, so. and yeah, and I mean that says something to the people that you put underneath you that you feel confident enough right. you can go tuck away for a few days and not have not to come to back. About, and yep. yeah, yeah, that you can shut off. You know, I've often been uh, curious about the when it comes to the training, especially now with the technology and the cameras. Do you find there's more? I would assume the training has changed a little bit, or is it is it still fairly much? Because you know, we, a lot of us see, you know, a lot of our interaction is what we see on you know on social media, you know. And there's always that there's always that dumb guy who just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And you're you're 90 seconds into the video, and you're thinking, I would have punched this guy in the mouth already twice. And and the officers just Mr. Mellow de-escalate, de-escalate. Is do you find that you have to train differently for that, or is it yeah. the same process? Now we just get to see it. That training has changed over the years. Um, but not because of cameras. Okay. We started the verbal de-escalation more towards that. And, I mean, we got tasers. When we got tasers, you could tase everybody. 
they they say no, they lip off, they turn around and run, hit them. Well, now <laughs> people started getting hurt, and like that might be excessive. So now, you know, so everything changes. Um, yeah, the stories my dad used to tell me from when he started in 1968, Oof. Um, that's just the way it was, yeah. you know. And, and now so it's a lot different. I think cameras might have something to do with it, but we started training different Less aggressive tactics way before we got cameras. Oh, I, I thought you were going with that, Jake. Or you need a volunteer for somebody to sit and swear. Yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, he already volunteered to be tased. Yeah, um, yeah. last week. Oh yeah, you said something yeah, about I, that. Uh, I don't know what I, you left, and I was like, why did I say that? That was really yeah, dumb. I didn't so. have to say that. Well, I mean, I, you know, to be honest, I'd probably take the tase over the pepper spray because yep. pepper spray uh, stays I've, with. I've had it both. Uh, when I worked for North Cato, we were the first ones in the area to get tasers, and they were huge. Yeah. And the chief at the time said, uh, it was Chris Boyer, said, if you get, with the, the news wants someone to go on camera getting tased, are you willing to do it? And I, I said, no, I think it was Mike Pulis. Anyway, Boyer's the one that shot me with it. I said, yeah, I'll buy you lunch. It goes, sounds great. So I'm standing there, and they shoot me in the chest with it. Oh, my God. Probably wasn't even social media. Probably wasn't even booming yet. Nope. Uh, KUIC News 12. That's uh, who put it on. Well, he yep. couldn't even get the likes. And well, it was, uh, yeah, but. Um, but it still was over with pepper spray. You oh. deal with that stuff, you know, for hours. Hundred percent terrible. Yeah, because yeah, for our like our even like our riot control stuff that we have to do some of that training, like sure. you had to go through like getting tased, getting sprayed, the whole thing. God, it just sucked. I've never been pepper sprayed. And I never want to be. Well, hey man, mm. we can. No, I'm sure we got something in the, the car outside. <laughs> no, I don't. No. I've God, had the, the little the little blue handheld ones they used to have. I've got that. That, oh, man. that. That's just like getting a really big bee sting. Oh, yeah, the, the actual tape. Uh, yeah, they, uh, they were little blue handheld deals like this. Little zappers. Yeah. Oh. We could tell stories about <clears throat> Arcadia Police and the fun they used to let us have <laughs> as kids. Touch to your tongue, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we used to have a uh, – anyway. So anyways. Anyway, uh, let's move so, past that. So we're, uh, you start off the city cop. Uh, I mean, did you, do you roll just straight from North Mankato to Blue Earth County, or do you roll up into any sort of leadership posi- position at North Cato before you moved? Or Nope. Um, I, I missed the county work, and I always wanted to work for Blue Earth County. Uh, I always admired Sheriff Peterson and, and their guys, you know, because we worked across the river from each other. Sure. We're always working with them. So um, so when they had they had three openings in September, the fall of I'm sorry. Summer of 2002, when I applied, and I was one of the ones hired. So, oh, nice. Yeah. And was it still really super competitive at that point? It was. It was. I actually remember uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of college kids that got interviews, and um, they were interviewing just a ton of people, and they ended up um, hiring. I got hired at the same time as Captain Bardra, and then another deputy that had left a few years ago. But yeah. So, so then you ro- rolled in. We kind of already covered you. You did. You know, just a, a shorter, shorter, abbreviated side, and they pretty much kicked you out on your own after three shifts right. with the, the sheriff. Uh, was, uh, and, you know, they kind of break things up by sector patrolling for the county. What what was your kind of area? When- uh, actually, we don't. Oh, really? Um, no, nope. we we don't have sectors. Um, you kind of know the busy areas, which, which depend on the time of day, but it's never been a thing. It's always been work, worked well to have, because we have, you know, city officers in a lot of different towns, but um, no, the deputies just kind of roam wherever they want. Yeah, well, and when you started too, I mean, there seemed to be more smaller independent law. There was, yeah. Too. Every every city had a even Good Thunder, Vernon, Amboy. They all had a police department. And that's kind of gone away. Sure. And was it still Tri City Police back then? No, it wasn't. It wasn't Tri City yet. Oh no, kid. No, uh, it was uh, Amboy. Vernon had one, and Good Thunder had their own. Okay. Do you guys patrol any cities right now in in Boris County? Um, yeah. So we have Pepperton, St. Clair, Amboy, oh, Good wow. Thunder, uh, Vernon Center. Um, the only 
ones that have PDs are Lake Crystal, Eagle Lake, and Madison Lake. Wow. And Mapleton. So. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. And now it, I know what knowns I can roll through a little faster, and I don't have to look for the city cap. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and you guys still. I thought you don't subsidize isn't the right word, but don't you uh, fill in for Madison Lake at times too? Because Eagle still, Lake. Eagle Lake. Okay, yeah. Yep. They have a contract with Eagle Lake. So. Sure. And I know that's kind of coming up here now too, depending on what the history or the future of that that right. department is going forward too. So. Well, the cities are almost connected now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they're getting you know? they're getting to that. Yeah. What's the uh, what's the role like? What's the difference in the roles of uh, you know when you're working as a city PD versus county sheriff or deputy? Uh, the deputies got well. They got a lot of room, room to roam. Obviously, bigger area to cover. Um, a lot of civil process with uh, court papers. We have to serve civil papers, court security, transporting prisoners. Oh sure. Um, rural, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a lot of city cops that don't know the difference between a combine and a planter. As a matter of fact, I know that's a fact. Cause I've heard him say that. But um, you're dealing a lot with with farmers and rural residents. It's just uh, kind of a different vibe. What's everyday life look like as a sheriff? I mean. Uh I mean, an average day as a sheriff. I mean, you spend most of your day at your office. Yeah, or? most of the days in the office. I try to spend. Um, I try to spend at least half my time with engaging with my employees and the public. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of office work to do: emails and phone calls and um, budgets and. You're in charge of the jail too, right? I am. Maybe jail. Yeah, and the dispatch. That's yours. Yeah. Right. Yep. So it's. Um, it's a lot, but I enjoy it. Yeah, you got you got bailiffs too, right? Yeah, bailiffs. Court, yeah. So the sheriff's in charge of court security, the jail, civil process, dispatch. I, was, I think people uh, don't always realize how much uh, the sheriff actually oversees. Yeah, you know, I mean, how many uh, different areas are you know have to I think be have like to run? Hundred and seventeen employees. Um, wow, under me. So yeah, yeah, that's a lot of people to report to you every day. Right. Then I, I'd imagine too, you got to be almost like a another coordinating agency between all the. The other uh, Eagle Lakes, Madison Lakes, and right. Mapletons and stuff too. Because uh, I haven't done it yet uh, this year, but when I came in and just did hey, that services brief to the patrol officers and came on off duty, I remember Eagle Lake law enforcement being there on right. the night shift too, and, and coming in and they were there part of like the regular meetings and, and briefings uh, for the patrol. I know sergeant's probably not the right word for it, but whoever was running the shift uh, at that time. So you have that coordinating effort, but then you. You get the dual role of not just doing the leadership and the law enforcement side, but then you got to deal with some of the political uh, crap too because right. it is an elected position. That's a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot of it, and and I, I kind of enjoy that part of it. Uh, I've been able to speak my mind and yeah, um, you know, stand up for for law enforcement and for for not just our office but everybody. So sure, yeah, and, and I think you know I talked about that uh, before too, but that is the I think a nice nice thing to where when you you see something that you don't necessarily agree with. You know, since you're accountable just to the constituency, or you don't have other electeds or administrator or above you or right. anything else that you can, um, you know, tell it like it is or how you how you feel and how you see it. Uh, and so that's, I think, a gatekeeper is probably not the the right word for for sheriffs, but I mean, you, you have that uh, freedom uh, just to speak from your professional subject matter expertise. And not, you know, have to play games if you don't want to. Well, Harry, right? you're the top law enforcement officer in your county, right? I mean, that's right. Yes, yeah. your county. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a privilege, I suppose, and a, and a burden. Yeah. Yeah. At the same yeah. Time. It's I mean, both. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes, you know, uh, scares you to death and sometimes you're pretty proud. That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, doing the sheriff's deputy thing, and then did you did you roll in from the deputy into another leadership position, or did you roll into the no, drug task force? Actually, um, I did a year and a half stint with the drug task force in 2005. 
Um, they had an opening and I took it. Um, I kind of missed working patrol, so I went back to the road and I was a patrol deputy again for about a year and then I got promoted um, in 2007 to uh, lieutenant, so mm. patrol lieutenant. Yep. I did that. How's the ranking go? You start out We don't have sergeants. The jail has the sergeant. So we have deputy, then lieutenant, and then we have, uh, I'm sorry, deputy investigator, lieutenant, and then captain. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know how the ranking worked in the. Yep. In so, the um, so, yeah, and then I uh, was a patrol lieutenant from 2007 to 15, and then I, I was assigned to take over the task force. So Okay. And and when he oh wow, you took over the task force, right? I yeah. went right, right into the commander. They yeah. they knew it. I had some experience, um, and Sheriff Peterson said, "Hey, we're looking for a task force commander." And at that point, it was perfect. My kids were going to school. My wife would go back to work, and so that's not so. Uh, does that change your hours into where you're? It does. Um, a little more flexible, or it, no, not well. Yeah, more flexible. Um, it, the reason it was important for us is because my wife's a stay at home mom, and I worked a lot of overtime. A lot of the. At the time, it was safe and sober shifts and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and with and with being the task force commander, that was all done. So, um, but the, but she went to back, to back to work, so it worked out great. Sure. But on the, the task force, I imagine you have, you know, again, probably not the right word, but using our vernacular, target of opportunity that presents itself, where you might be at a family function or something, and you got to go all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all the time. Never know when I'm going to be home. Um, never know what city I'm gonna end up when the when the night's over with Minneapolis or Sioux Falls, you know. Sure. Oh, that's it, how big your area was for the task well, force. Well, task forces um, when when they got a guy that wants to roll, um, wants to work, then they say, "Hey, I know a guy that's got 20 pounds of meth in Sioux Falls that'll sell me." So you call Sioux Falls, and that's where you go. Oh, sure. So um, that that kind of stuff happens, and that was actually fun. Um, but again, it's t- kind of tough on family and, and keeping commitments. So that's some fun though, too. I guess, but I shouldn't say fun because you're you're doing you're you're, you're apprehending bad people but uh every no, no day is the same typically it's you know what i mean re- rewarding i would i would say yeah you know, rewarding yeah. but i look at it as from uh the things that i would enjoy about it i guess would be is that no day is the same you know, you're not going to be going in and making the same product or you're not going to be teaching the same thing you taught last year or but every day is going to be different you're going to be right. dealing with something different it's a different stop every time it's a different rate every time it's a different who knows? Hopefully, nothing tragic. You know? Yeah, and you meet so many people from across the state. It's it's cool. A lot of a lot of different people. So, so uh, man, I don't even know what year was. I suppose I suppose you you were still in school then when Columbine happened. Uh, or was that after ninety eight? I guess. Yeah, I was so you college. were just kind of. So you kind of probably seen the evolution of the the police actually becoming more involved in schools. Maybe I guess right. you could say. I right. mean, um, I mean, I'm sure cops were involved in schools before, but not to the extent that they were after. Yeah, I never heard of a cop working in a school until after that. Right, yeah. yeah I'm sure it happened yeah. somewhere in the country. We had, like, city Mankato police that would show up at, like, elementary school and hand out their baseball cards right, and stuff. Right. But it's not like they were a a resource officer like they are now. It was just... Yeah, at, at best, you they'd have a squad parked out in front of the school in the morning to make sure people weren't speeding. Right. Kind yeah. of thing, right. So. Uh, Do you guys find yourselves in the schools more? Or, I mean, or actually, does law have, enforcement... I have a deputy who um, works uh, in the St. Clair School the entire school year. Oh, wow. Uh, yep. And then in the summer, he does the water patrol. And then uh, Lake Crystal PD has got a contract with their officers who we supervise, um, who spend a considerable amount of time in the school over there. Sure. So. Sure. I mean, that's a good thing, right? It's Even a we have great thing. Guys, yeah. you know. School loves having Deputy Weiborg in there. So, What's the, uh, the when you mentioned water patrol, um, is that a... Is that a standalone position? Is that something that uh, you have specific people trained for? Is that a different level of training? And, and yeah, we used to need? hire. Yeah, we used to hire um, a seasonal temp person to do water patrol. Um, that that was okay, but um, 
again, you didn't get someone who had a lot of experience all the time on, on rivers and lakes, and we relied a lot on the DNR to help them out. But now we have a, a deputy who is um, pretty skilled um, when it comes to operating boats, especially on the river. And uh, so he's he's our full-time water patrol. And deputy Hasselhoff. Time. Yep. <laughs> Actually, we call him Noodle because we went out to supper at Georgia Steakhouse, and we all ordered a steak, and he ordered spaghetti and meatballs. So. <sighs> See, man, my nickname's yeah. not that bad. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> you know? Changes so, things dramatically, yeah. for sure. So, well, so uh, when you were doing the drug task force, what what agencies does that combine? Because it's not just Blue Earth County. Right. So, so it's it's Blue Earth, Nicollet, Watton, and Martin. So all the counties and then the cities of St. Peter, Mankato, North Mankato, uh, St. James, Medelia, Fairmont. And, yeah, I got them all, yeah. Oh, so geez, it's yeah. it's a lot. And, and is it all just uh, drug interdiction, drug task force type stuff? Uh, so we're, we, they are a violent crime enforcement team. Um, used to be called drug task forces, and then it, and they took gang, gang task force and drug task force and put them together Combined and them called them a V-set, a violent crime enforcement team. So we did drug trafficking, guns, uh, violent crime, and then it ended up overdose death investigations. Sure. sure. So if there was a robbery or a sex assault or something, they'd all call us to help too because – um, regular investigators don't have a whole lot for informants, and the drug drug guys they got informants. You know, you could call up a, one of your informants and say, "Hey, you know, I got five hundred bucks if if you can tell me who did. You know, if we mm-hmm. can prove who did this." And people will squeal on anybody for money. Sure. And, and it's it was reliable information, and it, it ended up solving a lot of cases. Yeah. So. Well, and in the you know the the trafficking world, the assault world, everything. I mean, it's got its fingers, you know, tentacles into the drug world, oh, back and forth too. Yeah. That was what I was going to ask because we. Through, I mean, the courts that we worked in, uh, I'd had uh, briefings on it before. And then when I was uh, a VA regional like program guy uh, for the, pretty much the lower 37 counties, I would sit on some of the, uh, the other briefings from law enforcement around the area. And when you get closer down to 90, they would talk about human trafficking and child trafficking on that side just because of that Highway 90 corridor. Yeah, absolutely. 35 coming through yep. and then 169 on each side too. And, and 60. Um, because that's the way they take to Minneapolis. They'd take 60 up and they'd avoid I-35. Sure. Would people be absolutely shocked if they knew how much stuff was actually going on around them? They would. Absolutely. Like, like how would. much crime was going on yeah, around they them? They absolutely would if, if the so- kind of stuff that happens even in Mankato on I-90. I mean, because uh, you guys, I mean, and, and realistically, you guys probably catch a really small fraction of like the absolutely. drugs that are getting moved through and. You can't stop every it, it, well, car. Well, we don't, you know, I always said to my guys, don't chase the dope, chase this person. Yeah. You know, they want to have a huge amount of dope. Well, let's go after the person that's the worst. Um, yeah. But when I used to go do drug presentations and talks to community groups and stuff, and I, you know, show them all the stuff, and they go, where are you finding this stuff? Right here in Mankato. And they couldn't yeah. believe it. Right, yeah. So. I think that's the thing that I think that uh, most people don't know. You know, if you're, not, if you're going to bed at 10 o'clock at night, and you're getting up and you're going to work, and you're taking your kids to this stuff, and you're doing that, uh, I don't think people, you know, really, you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I think there's a lot more out there than people there is. Think, you know? And that's one thing I did um, when I took over the task force. I started doing more media releases and press releases, which was very seldom done because I'm like, people need to know what we're doing sure. and what's out there. Um, and it was received well. Well, especially just for education and hopefully prevention, you know, for people to be more involved and vigilant, but then also to let them know, like, this is what law enforcement is doing and right. encountering, too. What do you think the issue is with, uh, you know, obviously fentanyl's very well known. Everybody knows what fentanyl is now, right? How are there still overdoses? Why are people still messing with this stuff? And how do they find themselves in these situations? Uh, addiction. A lot of people are addicted to it, and there's still people who want to experiment. They think nothing's going to happen to them. They're tough. 
Yeah, it just blows my mind. You yeah, know, you still hear about it, and it's just like you think people by now would be like, "Hey, you know, whatever I'm taking could have fentanyl, and I'm just not going to screw with." They're it. They're sick. So, They're sick people, yeah. and and yeah, it's yeah, it's sad. I mean, is there an end to it in sight? I hope so, but uh, not in my career. Well, how do how do you stop this? How do you stop this stuff? You know what I mean? How do we? I mean, what, if you if you had the power to stop, to, I mean, well, to stop it, there's way too much money in in the drug world. Um, there's way too much money to be made, so I don't think you're ever going to stop it. Um, it's coming over the border really, really easy. Um, so is that? So is the answer not stopping it and try to treat it? Uh, prevention. I, you know, treatment is important. Enforcement is important. Prevention is before both of those. Yep. If you can figure out a way to keep a kid from even trying this stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't think enough money and enough thought goes into prevention. If I knew the answer, I wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. You know, I, mean, right. I don't know. We get a lot of high end guests. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. yeah. Like speaking of prevention, you know, like uh, that was always a question I always ask is, is why do, why do we, why don't we breathalyze people at the bar door instead of down the block? You know what I mean? Right. Like prevention wise, you know, like we're down at the parking garage in lower Mankato, you know, like if somebody's like, ah, I'm not sure, you know, why can't they get a breathalyzer down there? You know, without having to get behind the wheel and get one the bad way. Right. Yeah. That's there you go. You know, I, I you, know, that might be the big idea. I've always asked that. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's why, if, why, you know, why, that was always my two questions I always asked her. Why don't we get breathalyzed at the bar door instead of down the block? Right. And my other question always is, is, is uh, why, do car, why do cops have uh, unmarked cars, you know? Because the only time I wear camels when I go hunting, you know what I mean? I thought we're <laughs> serving and protecting here. Some of them guys are hunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, but I mean. Uh, but, I know, but, I know yeah. scaring a kid into, into not trying to doesn't work. Um, yeah. No, no, it just seems like it makes it cooler. Like right. if you like, well, you shouldn't do it. You know, it's that. Uh, what's the the movie? The the uh, ballad of uh, Ricky Bobby? No, <laughs> yeah, that's your favorite favorite movie at Talladega Nights. Uh, Walk hard. Oh, yeah. Dewey Cox. Yeah, Dewey oh, Cox. Yeah. The ballad yeah. Dewey Cox. You don't you know want where it's like, You don't want none of this, Dewey. Doesn't give you a hangover. It makes all your bad feelings feel good. And it's like, well, yeah, I think I want some of that. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's go but, want to try that. But I, I think uh, you know, I, I have a, a teenager. I have a fourteen year old, and I have those discussions. Uh, you know, really about the the negative impacts of it, and not the hey, this isn't you know cool, and all your friends are dope or dope and all that. It's like no, people are dying, honey. Right. And so I'm I'm in a position between the the guys that we deal with and and some of the the court system stuff that we hear. Obviously, I'm not sharing specifics, and then some of the stuff that I hear just you know being on the council, you know things going on, and I'll I'll talk to my 14 year old about that and be like, this is why you know they have. Uh, pill presses that make you know fentanyl look like Tylenol. That's why you don't take Tylenol from one of your friends while you're on the road. You know it's only your coach or what we give you to take with you, and you don't give it to your friends either because right. you have to be smart and vigilant um, and talking to them about that and not trying to scare them, but real world. And um, I, I think you're 100 percent right. You know, ounce of prevention's worth a pound of the cure. Absolutely. But statistically, though, we're we're probably what one of the safest areas in the country statistically, or no? Uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, crime-wise per capita and Mankato, Minnesota. Yeah, just the general safe, area. Right? I mean, we, we mean we've been lucky enough. I've been down to you go to Phoenix City, Alabama, right across the line from Fort Benning, Georgia. That's the scariest town I've ever been in my whole life. Yeah. You know, and there's just stuff popping off every night. You know, and then it, you, everywhere you go, you know, even Nashville, you know, you just crime going on all the time around Fort Campbell. You know, and all of a sudden you come back to, to you know, Mankato and, and uh, you're, you could be in a store and be like, did I unlock the car? Nah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know what right, I mean? It's right. just, that's kind of how it feels around here. You know I mean? I feel like this is probably one of the safer places in the country. Yeah. Absolutely. It's when you compare it to places like that or yeah. Detroit, Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Really right. safe. Or even, even, a, even an hour and a half north, you know? Right. 
Exactly. So that, I mean, this is neither here nor there, but it's just how, I guess, uh, ignorant a lot of, we are of like the, the broader, you know, landscape and the, uh, across the country. But we were taking a cross uh, country trip in, you know, about a decade ago and we had our, our daughter was just a little one at the time in, in the backseat of a, a Dodge Stratus, a four door, you know, rolling through Minnesota plates, rolling through Illinois. We're going on the way to Indiana. My wife, uh, saw, oh, kid filled her pants, you know, <laughs> she's in diapers in the back, right on uh, interstate coming through Chicago. And it's like, well, you know, let's find an exit to get off. It's before smartphones. Wife pulls up the map. Oh, take this exit. Exit, go off and go to buy the first gas station. It's all boarded up and everything else, too. It's like, well, you know, take a right down here, follow down, get the main drag. And houses are boarded up, overgrown lawns, old yard signs in there. And I see a, a sign in a front yard. It was an old, like, city council, and it's whatever the gal's name was. It was like, Karen for Gary. I was like, did you just route us down Gary, Indiana? Oh, wow. <laughs> Minnesota plates, you know. Yeah. Not, not the windows wide open, and she's like, no, no, what? what why? What's, what's Gary, Indiana? I was like, you know, probably one of the highest, you know, per capita murder rates and homicide rates in the country, too. And get turned on the main drag. Liquor stores are boarded up. Bars are, uh, bars are board, uh, boarded up and everything, too. And it was like a flashback to National Lampoon's. Is roll, roll them up. up. Roll <laughs> them that's up. exactly what I was thinking the whole time you're telling that. Roll, roll them up. And yeah. my, my poor daughter, I just like, you know, she was two or whatever at the time. I lean back. like, sorry, honey, you're going to have to sit in it for a while. <laughs> but, man, Kato, you just pull over anywhere. You know? yeah. Somebody would be like, probably stop by. Like, hey, is everything all right? I got extra diapers in the truck. Right. You know, you need some? Right. Or, yeah. And somebody would probably help you out on that. But, yeah, we are pretty privileged on, on that side of it. And I, re- I remember you two uh, briefing towards the tail end of your drug task force days, or sorry, the high, high crime. Drug uh, task force. Drug task yeah. force, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, some people call Marines uh, uh, infantry in the Navy, so I just want to make sure I get, a, <laughs> we get pissed by that. So. Uh, but uh, I remember you, you're talking about uh, that it's like 90, I think 5% of the meth that's showing up in southern Minnesota is from across the border right now. I would say 100%. 100%, because it's yeah. so much cheaper. Was, yeah. I mean, do you go into that a little bit on how that trend started? Or yeah, well, and I could that? even, um, I, in, in 05 when I was on, um, we dealt with a lot of the meth labs. Um, and it was the people you know making it in their basement and their van and stuff. And the dope they got was just crap. You know, it was... Um, 10 50 percent pure methamphetamine um and the stuff coming over the border now is cheaper a lot cheaper it's 90 to 95 percent pure methamphetamine it's a lot cleaner it's better dope it doesn't make your face all pitted out and make your teeth rattle like it used to but um how do you know that (laughs) (laughs) Um, but because we don't see the the um, home brewed stuff anymore the homemade stuff anymore because if you get caught making um Making your own meth, it's 86-month prison commit. It's first-degree manufacture. If you get caught with, you know, an ounce of meth, um, which you could never make on your own for a few hundred dollars, it's probation maybe. So Jesus. Um, manufacture charge is bad. It's hard to get the pseudofedrin. Um, they put the pseudofedrin behind the counters in about middle 2005, beginning 2006, and the labs just dropped way off. Yeah. That, and, uh, so that was that that had a, a legitimate impact. Hundred percent. Because yep. I know it's a pain when I got to get my kids, uh, you know, allergy pills over the counter and stuff. But huge impact. It, and it wasn't just that 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 helped big time. And then it was the the Mexican um, dope got so much cheaper and pure. But that was a huge impact. Right. 
And it is a pain when you need it, but it's for a good reason. No, and that makes sense because my and and I guess I underestimate you know never underestimate the power of a tweaker. But I always just thought, well, how much you know is your average guy going to run around and buy uh, two hundred boxes of of you know Sudafed at all these places so he can go home and try to cook up some meth? But I guess the short answer is yes, yeah. and they steal it most of the time. Oh, sure. All yeah. right. They, well, well, it doesn't sound like it ended up being that good in the long run because now the Mexicans right. are or Mexican cartels are sending it across the border right now at a higher potency and. Uh, cheaper too yeah. so it's kind of supply and demand like when one uh, opportunity diminishes somebody else fills that void and sounds like at a higher uh, higher level too and right that's uh, another one just like the fentanyl i've never understood that you know like we're so far into the meth game right you're, you're doing this in 2005 we're coming on 20 years right we're talking right. easily a generation of, of people right who thinks uh, well, I know so-and-so, they tried meth, and it turned out great for them. Right. I just, yep. don't, I just don't understand. I just cannot grab the logic behind it, it, yep. these drugs, you know? And, and, and the way they live, um, what they look like, and the stuff they do, and it's just like, how can you look at yourself in the mirror and think, yeah, this is going pretty good? I, I, I just don't understand that. I just can't get past that, that person that takes that first hit of meth, right? Because it's never worked out for anyone, right. you know? And I just I just don't get how it's like, well, we've seen 20 years of history of this, and, and now you'd think, well— you know, I seen so and so on, and I don't want any part of that. And right. I seen so and so on. All my friends that you know, well, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to steal. Uh, you know, Sheriff Wurzel's thunder here, but look at alcohol. I mean, we've oh, got yeah. hundreds of years of alcohol use, and people are still dying from alcoholism no, all the right. time. You're right, and and it. Well, I'd, I'd go back to our, our past guest. Mike's getting defensive over here about the booze. No, yeah. no, yeah. Like, <laughs> don't you? Don't you? I need a drink my, right now. Don't you be knocking uh, on Irish Nyquil? Well, how do you know there's not drinks? Yeah, in this, right. So. Yeah. And, but I, I would go back to our, our one, our past guest when they were talking about uh, addiction and kind of scapegoating, and it's like, no, I was a drunk that happened to go to Vietnam, you know, and I use that as an excuse to, and that's right. that's where I think the addiction piece comes in is because. You've seen people, and we don't sit on drug court, but it's in a vet's court, and you see, you know, uh, some of the people that you grew up with around the area going through it that were, you know, varsity athletes that had good families and everything else, but they have that underlying, um, you know, addiction sitting inside of them. And whether it's booze that cracks it open for them, whether it's weed, whether it's pills, whether it's meth, and then eventually escalates to that point, it's the addiction uh, side of it. But then also, you know, give the, the drug dealers and the cartels and all them their... Uh, they do uh, reference a reverence on this is that they're pretty good at marketing and saturating and getting this out there and trying to get repeat customers or new customers out there too. So absolutely, you get people with you know maybe an underlying um, you know uh, uh, proclivity towards addiction, and then you get essentially a whole underground industry geared towards getting new clients and maintaining clients, and it's a perfect damn storm. And then. You know, like you're you're saying, and that's what I was going to ask you when you're talking about uh, things you could change. Is, you know, we have people that are small small time uh, shop makers that get 86 months automatic versus somebody that gets, you know, caught in possession. Is but just because they didn't make it, they get probation and let off, and then they're going back after probation. Probably a high chance of getting more and distributing and everything else too. It's just because they're not manufacturing. Right. And is that a state? thing or is that a federal thing or both it's, it, both uh manufacturing is just much worse than possession i mean sales is bad too so i mean if you if you possess a gram of meth which i feel this cap right here yeah um that's you know fifth degree and you're not going to get any jail time normally if you manufacture that and get caught it's it's a it's a commit to prison because you're manufacturing do you think that so. consequences i mean would it would affect uh actions more or do you think that Regardless of the consequence, people are going to do what they do. 
Um, I don't know. That's tough. I think some people think of consequence. Some people are so whacked out and so far out there that they don't care what the consequence is. Right. But um, I guess I, I guess if you, if you, I'm trying to think of the kid getting out of high school, right? And he's sitting there at a party going, if I try this right now and I get caught with this, right? If I buy some of this right now and I get caught with this, I know for a fact I'm going to spend three years in jail, you know, or you know, whatever it may be. You know, if he knew that, you know, before they started, uh, would that change his mind more? If he knew that, then he knew he's just going to get probation for a year. Maybe, but um, I think history has shown that I don't think threatening people with, with that has worked. I don't think it does. Um, right. Yeah, I just don't think it does because um, they've really eased up. It used to be you you get caught with some meth, you go to jail for at least a few days, and now that just isn't the way it is. Yeah, and, and we've kind of fallen more into a treatment over a uh, sitting in jail mindset, anyways, right? Right, and it depends yeah. on what you're there for. Um, if you're if you're a true addict, um, yeah, treatment. Obviously, we want right. you in healthy versus. But if you're, that's what I struggle with sometimes with some of the treatment court. I, I am I was heavily involved in. It, I agree with it, but if someone is caught for their fifth time selling large amounts and they got guns and stuff that shouldn't yeah, even be a, right right uh an option you go into prison so yeah and i'm a big believer in if uh locking people up for violent crimes you know right. and if, and i always said if you go to prison for drugs in minnesota you really really tried hard because oh, it's really? not your first offense it's not your second offense yeah you've been given a lot of different um opportunities to get out of the business yeah yeah so, so context matters too uh, right you know obviously Weapons, you know, sales, the whole side of it, too. That's what I wanted to kind of, because we talk a lot about uh, vet court, obviously, on this uh, show, and uh, a little bit about, you know, uh, you know, drug court, treatment courts, those type of things. Have you noticed that the, an impact from those, from the law enforcement side of things, or is it uh, too, too early or too small of a scale to tell? Uh, I actually have friends that have been through the program. Um, if they take it serious because they want to get healthy and do something better with their life, it's great. If the only reason that they try to get in there is to avoid prison, that's the only reason, and they don't take it serious, then it, it's, not gonna it's, work. it's a waste of everybody's time. It's like anything time. else. Then, yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's, that's yeah, kind of what I, I mean, we see that we've seen that, too. I mean, Vets Court isn't a 100% treatment court, but I would say 80% of the participants go to inpatient or intensive outpatient. It's too. extremely modeled after a, a, yeah, a treatment co- court. Cor- correct. And they all go through the, the assessments, the chemical dependency assessments, too. And, yeah, they, and they, mental health is... is got to be a huge part of it too and that's probably something that when you started too it was never even mentioned was mental health no not nope. even not, you guys probably didn't even have that word in anywhere in any of your um you know yeah and, when we first started we didn't spend time on mental health de-escalation we didn't know what autism was um unless you studied it on your own you weren't taught the, to recognize the different things um and, and yeah. mental health wasn't associated with chemical dependency then either right so right absolutely right. At all. i'm curious if um it's kind of two questions in one, but um, we've seen now more and more cases where people are being charged like uh, uh, you supplied the meth that that person or the, the fentanyl that that person OD'd on. And now you're up against charges also. Have you have you noticed any any benefit to that or any pushback on that? I mean, I guess that's more of, again, the penalty fear. Yeah, phase, we haven't but. gotten any pushback. Um, it hasn't it ha- that hasn't stopped it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um People know, though, when um, when they do sell it to someone or give it to someone and that person does end up dying, they know that we're going to come after them and mm-hmm. they're, they're deleting their phones, they're hiding, um, sure. um, trying to come up with stories because they know. Um, does Minnesota have a, because uh, I've heard of programs where 
you can call in an overdose, and uh, and then there's I don't want to say there's you know a free ticket, but yep, th- it's they, a good American law. Yeah, okay. right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you if you're with your buddy and he overdoses or she overdoses, you can call and and there's a few parameters you have to follow. You have to give him your name. You have to stay on the phone with him. You have to cooperate with the with law enforcement when they right. get there. Now, if you don't do one or two of them things, chances are you're still going to get in trouble. Um, but you don't have to worry about the fact that there's dope laying around and pipes laying around. Main focus should be your friend saving a life. Yeah. Exactly. Um, problem is, is uh, we've seen so many death scenes where it was obviously cleaned up before nine one one was called. We had two people that were just dumped at the hospital on the sidewalk, dead oh or dying by their buddies because they're freaked out, right. um, or they just leave. They right. get up and they leave, and they leave them there. How it's, readily available is Narcan? I mean, can you can I mean, get it anywhere? You can. These yep. guys can get, you get it, it anywhere. Um, sometimes at no cost. Uh, actually, you can get it at no cost through Ran. Um, and through yeah. what's that other one? Um, God, open up. Rand's yeah. the one that gives it out to R- Rural Aids Action Network. Action, yeah, yeah, Network and um, Beyond Brink also gives out. Oh, sure. Um, Did they they just uh, pass something where you're you're not liable then if you as an individual if you use Narcan on right. somebody? Yeah. Right. And, and Narcan's uh, not going to hurt you if you don't need it. Yeah. Um, it's just an opioid receptor blocker. Yeah. It's and it does not harmful. You, the four of us could all take a shot of Narcan up our nose right now. It's not going to affect us. Yeah. Sure. Um, well, it might sober you up a little bit. But. <laughs> well, I'll shout out the Irish man, too. So. I think that was uh, Marine Corps. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, uh, law enforcement profile. But, and then actually there's a new law that uh, came in effect August 1st that all um, law enforcement that's uh, it's assigned to a patrol duty has to carry at least two doses with them. Sure. Oh, um, sure. So we were before anyway. But uh, yeah. and what about we, PTSD? You guys get briefed on PTSD yep. at all? I mean, yep. so that, that's part of our um, differently and part of our mental health training that we that we do every year. And we actually some of the training we have actors come in. Oh sure, and actually can act out. You know, if they have uh, TBI or yeah. PTSD or autism and stuff, and um, they're good. They're good at it because you can't get them to come out of character, and they'll keep at it until you say the right things or do the right things. And sometimes sure. just separation of time is what they need, and yep. they'll react if you do that. Um, real frustrating the first few times we did it because it's something we weren't used to. Yeah, um, I, I, used sat, I sat in on one of those with well, a couple of years ago with Wasika uh, Sheriff. They brought one in, and actually, what surprised me is you know you hit the autism, the the TBI, the the PTSD. But what I didn't think about till I got there is uh, dementia. Right. Uh, right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, respond responding to calls for that too, yeah. uh, and and how to notice the signs and how to try to work with that that population that's obviously with longer life expectancy happen more and more too right. so what is it what does the future of law enforcement look like i mean like i mean lasers <laughs> cross that question <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah take this out yeah. um you know it it's just gosh looking over how much it's changed um over the last 22 years now yeah like what do you see coming like what do you think is going to happen in law enforcement? is there another radar detector i could get or <laughs> a newer one, Fuzz, yes. Fuzzbuster, yeah. Yeah, Fuzz man. Buster. I had one of those in my car. You know, I I hope that um, the perception of, of law enforcement gets to be better. Public doesn't see, you know, a lot of the public uh, kids shouldn't be scared of us, and the public should should uh, realize that we're here, we're to help people. You know, for every use of force incident, there's we do a hundred helping people. Right. Um, and I hope that that gets better. Um, we can't. I don't think we can be replaced by machines, so I don't see that happening. Uh, right. AI, I just don't see. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they might, maybe for some stuff, maybe for the analytics part of it, investigations, maybe. But when it comes to dealing with people, you got to have a, a human. Got to deal with. I know law enforcement training is already changing. They're, they're putting this mental health and um, 
the uh, cultural cultural differences and all that training into so cops come out of school knowing this stuff. Uh, when I started in North Mankato as an officer, the Somali population in North Mankato was starting to grow big time. I'd never met a Somalian, yeah. didn't know their culture, didn't know anything about them. Um, we weren't trained, just had to kind of learn by talking to the ones that could speak English. Uh, but now people are coming out of school knowing this stuff. So right. sure. well, they, they have things like okay. the tapestry program. Ta- yep. too. Uh, right. Yep. Uh, and I uh, actually, um, one of the... One of the coolest drug presentations I did was to a group of the Somali community up in the church in Upper North Mankato, and uh, a lot of it was through a translator, so it was tough. But um, just the look on their faces when, you know, when, when they realize, you know, if you catch your kid with drugs and you call us for advice, we're not going to come arrest your kid. And they, yeah. they were thinking that we're, we're going to. We're not going to away from you. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and if you want us to talk to your kids, we will. And they were, you know, they were pretty open to that. So. All right. Would you say that law enforcement is sufficiently funded right now? No, I would say it's not. Um, you guys can't. You guys can't do everything you guys need to do. No, never. Um, I, I, I don't want to say that I don't have enough in my budget to run the office like I want to. Um, there's right. some things I would, you know, I, I would like more money. Um, the task forces definitely need more money. Right now, our task force has got a commander and four agents for that whole area. I told you, you know, all the four yeah. counties. They should have a lot more than that. Um, but how, the how do we get that? The um, legislature needs to release more grant dollars because task force is partially grant funded. Um, city councils and county boards need to realize that more money needs to be pumped in. It. Blue Earth County is pretty generous. They, they they fund a lot of the task force. Um, but is, is a lot of it like the um, like the, the best example I can come up with is the the tobacco lawsuit when everybody was the government was suing the tobacco industry. And they just couldn't compete. You know, the, the, the tobacco industry had deep, deep pockets with lots of lawyers. And like you said before, you know, the money in the drug game, I can't imagine how any task force, uh, whether it's countywide or statewide or even federalwide, can financially keep up right. with the money that they're up against. It's, you know? right. it's got to be tough. just crazy. And, and it used to be we, we forfeited a lot of money, um, and we still do, but they tightened up in the forfeiture laws. Um, now you can't forfeit this. You, you know, that, you can't forfeit that amount. Um, but isn't that okay, though? Shouldn't the funding be coming from the taxpayer? I mean, instead of the, the forfeiture stuff? Well, it's, um, yeah, well, that's one way to look at it. But if you if you don't have a job um, and you've been selling um, fentanyl for 10 years and you end up with $50,000, the government, you know, we're gonna, it's a law, we're going to forfeit that from you. And the task force gets to use a, a lot of that to, to fund their efforts. Um, the state sure. gets some, the prosecuting authority gets yeah, m- some. Yeah. Most forfeitures aren't because you didn't pay your parking tickets. Well, no, right. I just like, I just don't like the I guess personally I just don't like the idea of like you know of incentivizing the task force to go out and yeah. and you know maybe push things that they shouldn't because they know they need that funding. I wouldn't look at it as an incentivization, you know? but like. Even look at it, you're talking about the stick earlier about like how do you how do you make the penalty enough bad enough for somebody not want to do, not, not want to do something or take that first risk. Look at the DNR, take out the law enforcement. You know the game warden no, side is still law enforcement, but you go driving around your truck, moonshine or you know spotlighting and, and drinking, and you shoot five deer out of out of season and have them pile up on your truck. You're going to lose your gun. You're going to lose your truck, rightfully so, because you were using that essentially to, to commit that act. And I, That's I would point. I, I wouldn't you know think. Uh, poorly of whatever agency, you know, tax forfeiting or for, doing the forfeiture to that and selling it and using it as proceeds to go off and do firearm safety for youth or to do, uh, you know, briefings and, and schools, whatever they're also going to use it for. But I, I think a, a big thing hitting the role, not for my county role, but the, the city role and kind of uh, watching um, local government and uh, 
essentially the mandates from state and feds without really the commiserate funding to carry out a lot of those needs and the expanded roles and expanding trainings. And if you looked at LGA funding from the state, and I imagine you guys are under CPA too, the county program aids. League of, funding too. where's the stamp LGA, League of? Uh, local government local assistance. Government. Yeah, so the state passed through. Essentially, when you account for inflation, you know, and again, some of the stat geeks might call me out on this, but it's somewhat same, or stayed stagnant almost at the same rate from 2000 to 2023, or 2023. And you can't say that law enforcement or, or local agencies are uh, human services or social services haven't been tasked with more uh, mission. You 100%. Know, get, yeah. Wages have gone up. Yeah. Price of equipment's gone right. up. Everything goes up. And, and to touch on Jack's point earlier, that the money, and if we if we seize $20,000 from a drug dealer, it's not like we can take that money and go use it. Um, it sits in an escrow account for a couple of years at least well, yeah, until the judge has looked at the case stuff, yeah. to make sure that the conviction goes through. And then the judge looks at the forfeitures to make sure that's legal. So to say that, um, and I'm not saying somewhere around the country, the state, there's task forces that are saying, hey, we should go get this guy first. He's got a lot of money. Um, but that's not the reason we do what we do. Right. Um, and it's gone down. I mean, the forfeitures have really, really gone down because of so much with the cash app and Venmo. And they're just in this, there eco- to grab in this economy. In Nobody's this economy, got cash. Right. Nobody's got right. cash. We start seeing uh, Blue Earth County Sheriff uh, hot air balloons. We know Jeff scored a couple. Right. <laughs> What do you want to do, Sheriff? Let's call in the balloon. Yep. <laughs> I, I worked in World War One, man. You know, more things change, more they stay the same, right? Uh, so it sounds to me like Jack was one of those guys who had a couple high school parties busted, and the next week he saw the uh, cops drinking his I beer. I lost my favorite cooler. <laughs> I lost like, my favorite cooler. Hey, so where'd, you, where'd you get that cooler? Uh, a cop that busted a party. I saw he's got the tap from my keg in his damn garage. Yeah. Well, back back in the day, now the statute of limitations is up. Um, yeah, I used to go over to your buddy's house. You know, like. North Cato cop, and we want a beer. What kind you got? I got Patrolman's blend. Just put anything you want. Yeah, in there. Yep. whatever you need. We got it. Yep. They pulled it out of Jack's cooler. And yeah, West Jeff access. Yep, right. I, I won't say what small town uh, cop did that either, but I mean, we had that happen to us in high school. Everyone, you know, hadn't partaken in what was in the trunk at the time yet, and the beer just got taken, and we yep. got sent on our way. There's one thing, cameras. Yep. Probably ended right there. And, and this it. would have been 98, 99, yep. somewhere in there, and, too. And Jake was spot on. I was the guy that was famous for you can't get 200 ages in the same day. <laughs> yes, you can. Hold uh, my beer. I didn't, I didn't find out the hard way, but I found out that later. Yeah, oh. yeah. That's usually the Irish. You just can't get pregnant in the same year. And, you know, kind of proved that one wrong. So. Right. <laughs> so, but, so, oh, no, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to ask about um, the frustration. Um not only from the money part, because as anybody who's in a management role in any any business knows that the first complaint is always the money, right? Yep. And uh, I'll go to a, a guest from one of our radio shows, uh, Action Jack, the money guy. He always says uh, a great line I love, which is, you know how I know you can't bench press 300 pounds? is because you can't bench press 100 pounds, meaning that if you win the lottery tomorrow, your financial woes aren't over if you can't manage your money and balance your budget to begin with. So uh, just having more money, doesn't help sometimes. And and I'm not saying that's not money isn't always the answer, but sometimes it's the most obvious thing that people lean on. Um, wh- what is it like or is there is there like a think tank group that uh, that sheriffs across the country can get together and go, all right, listen, we all have limited funds. What else can we do to be better at our job and, and to make this, you know, to, to be more successful? Is that is that is that a thing? Or? Well, there's this, the Sheriff's Association in Minnesota. All 87 sheriffs belong to it. And we talked communicate a lot mm-hmm. in by district by you know um and that's kind of why task forces were formed to be honest with you it's because uh all right you know we don't have the money 
to combat this herself. We need a we need a group of people that can dedicate their time. Um, you know, the, the Blue Earth County Mankato couldn't put four, five, five, five people together, so they went around and so hey, you your dope that you're getting in in St. James is probably coming out of Mankato. Why don't you put a guy on it? That's all. That's all that happened because of limited funds and resources sure. and staff. Right now, um, money isn't just the issue. It's staffing. Um, you know, there's a lot of cities around here that have the money to pay four or five more cops, but they can't get anybody to apply. Mm-hmm. So that's well, the challenge we have to overcome first, I think. And that's that's perfect because that leads into kind of the second part of my question when it comes to frustrations uh, as the law enforcement. Uh, and I can remember as a as a small kid, I was probably five or six years old and watching some, you know, one of those '70s cop shows, and the cops like, "Stop or I'll shoot." And I remember looking at my mom and going, that's ridiculous. He's not going to shoot the guy. Why would the guy stop? I mean, he knows the cop's not going to shoot him. Is the frustration, I'm not saying, you know, you're frustrated because you can't shoot everybody, but <laughs> like like these two. You know, like, the Marine Army yeah, was yeah, right there. Yeah. 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 But my does it get frustrating sometimes when you think about the, the short-sighted thought process of like uh, uh, the other cultures that come to, that come to the, the area, that come to the country, and they don't know you have to try to learn everything about their culture and they don't really try to figure out our culture. And when I say our culture, I know that sounds very uh, small townish because America is all about blended cultures, but does, does that get frustrating sometimes with that, that ability of like, why can't I just shoot this guy? You know, well, you know, I don't think that, but it's frustrating. Um, when you talk about cultures, people come to the United States and in their country, the police are abusive. They're corrupt. They're, they're corrupt. You can't trust any of them. Right. And they come here thinking, well, that's how the American police are. Yeah, um, yeah. Yep. And then there's the culture of um, the way kids are growing up now. Um, there's some parents that must tell their kids, hey, if the if the police try to deal with you, be mouthy, fight. Um, I can't believe how many people, college-age kids and older, even younger, think it's okay to fight with the police now. Um, every weekend crazy. downtown. It's just uh, it's crazy. And I we very, very seldom had anybody fight with us when I first started. Mm-hmm. It was very, very, I mean, they might struggle a little bit, but it was not uh, an all-out brawl. And, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to make this sound wrong or any way, but is this because the Bailey Club's gone? I mean, nobody's afraid of really getting hit over the back uh, of the head anymore? Gosh, maybe. I, uh, I mean, no, seriously. I mean, like, you know, I, it's a whole consequence I, thing, right? Like, I, if your I, old I would, man will lick you with the belt, you know, when you're a kid, you screw off. I, I would now, say not on the law enforcement side, but I would say, uh, you know what? At home? Well, at home, yeah. Well, and even yeah. growing up, like, you know, there was consequences for running your mouth. And you got, I mean, not, not that, you know, I was scrapping it up every day on the playground, but if you got into a fight at school, I mean, nobody got suspended. Nobody got, you know, profiled for some sort of psychological defect. You went to the principal's office, you got in-school suspension, and you went home, and then you had to explain to your parents why you got in school suspension and, and then you got grounded at home or you got things taken away from you whether you started the fight or not but and it you, was never the teacher's fault yeah. or it was never anybody else's yes, fault it was, it was you you screwed up you did this wrong you know you're being held yeah. accountable for it and that's not how it is no. right now i remember it's the damn teacher shouldn't have been you know you right know, you well, know that's the rude to you the school's not being fair you know the, fir- stuff the like first that. question it was and you never wanted to tell your parents you got in trouble it was like no. Well, what what'd you do? It was you know like I hey, no. what happened what happened in school today? Well, I got in trouble. Well, what'd you do? Yeah. It's not like well, what what they do to you, you know, yeah. or, or who who did you wrong? Or if kids get in trouble, well, the first thing they're doing is calling their parents. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. Come and, defend and, me. And I can't tell you how many times that I've arrested uh, someone over the years, and their parents call in mad at me. 
mad at the police because they, what are you doing with my kid in jail? And why, yeah. you had nothing better to do. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. But that's, and then, yeah. you, then you realize, okay, that's why that kid did that. That's why they fought. I guess where I was getting at, though, is when your dad walked into, you know, a bar in St. Peter and somebody was, you know, needed to go and they got, they started to wrestle with your dad. They get popped in the mouth. Yep. You know, rolled up, thrown out of the bar, hit the. Gr- I mean, they they felt it the next day, and they said, "And next time I get drunk, I ain't I ain't doing well, that's that." What again. I mean, right. but but the kid does that though today, Mike. They're getting they're getting they know they're getting paid. Uh, yeah, you know, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know what I mean? If that happens today, that yeah. kid's getting and paid. And if they do go to jail, most of the time they'll be let out without it paying any bail the next morning. You know, and by by no means is this an endorsement to go and start just punching people in the mouth because you don't like what something uh, somebody says to you. But there was. Uh, more of a it is effective yeah well i mean there, there was an underlying like hey i i need to be able to back up what i say because people will put their hands on me at a time if i just run my mouth you can't can't talk about somebody's mom or their you know girlfriend right. or whatever else and run, run it off um you know all, all day long there's consequence for well, it's it kind of like letter kenny you know if you've ever been in a real fight you wouldn't be so keen for another you know i mean Correct. these kids you know i mean we, i just we, think that's we, where we're at we also grew up in an era where even cartoons portrayed um you know the guy who kicked sand on the girl he he got he got stomped by the girl's boyfriend yeah, you know? i mean it was up, like yeah. there was it, there was a, it was more physical back then yeah um and the physical part of that especially with you're talking about with the people that are trying to which again blows my mind put their hands on the cops and they want to fight with you guys is there a are you seeing a trend towards a different type of training like more jujitsu type things where, where police can you're you're trained to verbally de-escalate but you know, how can you physically de-escalate without just, you know, smoking a guy with a billy club or, or tasing yeah. You know, is that something that yeah, you see we get more trained. Yeah, absolutely. I know there are some um, some cops that, that take the martial arts, but we're trained on different holds and different um, pressure points and different ways to control someone and, and safely get them, mm-hmm. you know, away and stop fighting to the ground and stuff. Sometimes it takes two or three cops to do it, depporting on what the person's on yeah. and how strong they are. Yeah, that's true. You see, like for me, my biggest thing is is is, a, is I always want to yell is is treat a cop not as if he's a cop, but he's just a random dude that's got a gun, right? If somebody tells you to get down on the ground and they got a gun, you should probably get down on the ground. If you were standing out in your front yard, somebody rolled up into your yard with a gun and said, "Get down on the ground," you should probably do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just be out of the, your own safety. You know what I mean? So I just. Necessarily, if you just took the badge out of the effect, I just don't know why the, it's almost like the badge gives people some sort of immunity to think that they can treat you like, what are you going to do about it? Because if you do anything, you're going to have to pay me. Right. Well, yeah. You know, that's, and that's the sad part. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just like <clears throat> these people get pulled over. If you don't like what's happening in the situation, sh- shut up. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. He'll throw you in the back of the car. He'll take you to jail and you'll have to deal with it. But at the end of the day, he's got a taser. He's got a. You know these things when he walks up to the window. Why are you doing these things? I just, I just can't wrap my head around it. I guess sometimes. If you could go back in time, would you make sure that there was never MMA? Uh, <laughs> well, I never watched it. So. Well, I think um, a lot of these people now. That's part of it. Is yeah. They're like, I got because you know, there's kids out there that are training like that, and they're like, I can take that cop. He doesn't scare me. Yeah, but and, usually the guys that have the affliction T-shirts don't train in like jujitsu and combatives or anything. Like I that. meant like real guys, t-shirt. not the yeah. posers. I yeah. took a twelve uh, twelve uh, slide uh, TikTok course on uh, jujitsu last week. Did you? Uh, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Professional. I, Great. And, when and, you get into taekwondo, <laughs> it's the leg holds I really struggle <laughs> yeah. with. It's the uh, leg holds. Kickboxing. be the foot locks. I really get you, man. Like, uh, my biggest sure. fear around a cop, though, is always that he's going to ask me to step out of the vehicle. 
<laughs> I'm not complying. I can roll out. Uh, yeah. Can you get a DWI in that thing? I don't know. Got two wheels. I don't know if that's sure. Yeah, you catch me rolling downtown in this thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ring him up. Yeah. Yeah. Book him, yeah. Dano. Yeah. Got another one. But if it's self-propelled, so if you're going <laughs> to get really tie one on, get on you know, <laughs> yeah, a yeah, main whole wheelchair. Going to win the contest this month. I got another one. But to circle on to that, I was actually going to ask, too, because I trained jujitsu, and I've heard you know some some departments have brought in uh you know for additional combatives and i know uh gracie did that's the you know essentially like the nike of the jujitsu world but there's a whole lot of other um you know uh, breakouts and gyms and and uh, teachers and, and of, of jujitsu too that's disciplines yeah yeah well same discipline but different schools i okay. guess so uh, you know, again, like Gracie's kind of like the the Nike, but there's Adidas and Puma and Reebok and everything else Got out it. there. Um, there's a whole, whole lot of other uh, teachers, but Gracie's really kind of uh, centered around looking at law enforcement and helping do some advanced tactics and training for them too. And uh, the West Coast, you see it, you know, a little bit more in the, the law enforcement, so, uh, Southern California, San Diego, that, that area, uh, Orange County, a, a lot of it too. But I know they get into like Nevada and Utah and then, in the the northeast and in new york too so for your guys's combatives i mean for annually how much how much mat time is required to go over some of those manipulations and hold on an annual year for like eight hours say, manually eight hours annually eight hours um once a year okay yep it's and, and we've been taught since i started you know there was it was ppct and it's moved up. There's different schools, and then the use of force guys will go to those, or gals will go to those schools and learn different different things. And um, you know, they took away a lot of the, the neck restraints and, and that kind of stuff. So we got to be retrained on that. And and we had, um, you know, kind of just coming on the, at least in this state, coming off the end of that controversy with a lot of the, the school resource officers and some of the use of reasonable uh, force uh, being changed. Uh, and a big thing that stuck out to me. There's a lot of things that are in that. I mean, there's really about two items that got pointed to all the time as the reason for you know why that was added in there and that was the and correct me if i'm i'm wrong the uh, restricting a, a student's ability to, to uh, call or inform distress and then also restrict their breathing um, but for me for oh, go ahead the biggest thing for us was the prone restraint yes that, that's uh, and straddling what, them um that's what i was sorry to cut right, you off yeah. i was going to go into that on uh, from you know doing military combatives and, and training to um, and detainee handling, never trained to kill more. Or less, yeah, so. well, but when you when you did the detainee handling and training, you got sure. a combative, you weren't just going straight to yeah. five five six in them. Sure. Um, but then the same thing, even you know training actual grappling, uh, you know martial arts and combatives that's based out of that is by taking somebody to the ground, you're de-escalating by taking it to the ground because you're closing the distance and you're uh, diminishing the ability for haymaker impacts and large concussive type type injuries the biggest muscle group. And, and you're, yeah and you're using gravity to your to your effect and so again not being in law enforcement and, and not doing that but when i was looking at some of those changes that restriction potential restriction of prone restraint in general i, I you know that, what i say to the general public if you ever try somebody that's combative with you uh, a 16 year old or a 36 year old if they're combative with you and, and striking you, you ever try restraining them and holding them standing up? I mean, by nature, standing up. At Forget least, it. And in, in my experience, again, not law enforcement experience, very limited experience from uh, training uh, jujitsu and then from uh, you know the military detainee handling, is you're increasing the ability for you know more catastrophic injury while you're standing up as opposed to taking it to the ground. And that's why jujitsu and MMA and all that's so effective is because it was. Uh, 
not doing the old Rocky hero standing up kicking and hitting each right. other as you're taking each other and, to the ground to de-escalate. Right, and, and, and we're not... You know, we're not leaving them on the ground when they're handcuffed on their stomach. As soon as they're in custody, they sit up, stand up. Um, if I was to take an 18-year-old kid that was fighting with me and I had to put him in handcuffs, he would spend less time on, on his stomach than a football player, a wrestler, any of that would during a game. Um, but, you know, again. Yeah, you're they, getting old. You don't want to sit on the ground with them anymore either. Let's stand right, up. Right. <laughs> stand up. Uh, um, and usually I'll be out of breath, you know, so I need to stand up yeah. too. But um, it's just... You know, uh, every every cop in the state right now, if you look at it, to ask some people, uh, is Derek Chauvin. Yeah. Um, we all are. You know, it's just like saying every doctor of a male is Larry Nasser. Right. You know, it, it's just they right. just one one guy does something that that uh, that is deemed wrong. And then the rest of us, oh, this is what you're all doing. Then you can't uh, prone out people anymore. Perception is reality, unfortunately. Right. I'm glad I'm glad you said that, because that leads me to uh, I know we're getting up there on time here, but um the, the question I've often wondered that it's similar to this uh, perception is reality and, you know, restraints is the generic uh, profiling. You know, we heard a lot about that after 9-11 and different things like that. Isn't uh, and, and I, I guess I want you to explain it to me is uh, how important is profiling to law enforcement? Uh it, profiling has its place, right? Um, it obviously, it's instinctual. Exactly. It's you know what you're looking for. But no. there's nothing wrong with it though, because it's the same thing as me rolling down the sidewalk at night, and if I see a uh, 80 year old woman with a with a walker coming at me, I feel zero threat at all. But if I see a seven foot man coming at me, I'm going to be going. Maybe I should cross the road in the middle of the night. You know, maybe I should. There's a guy, you know, sitting at the opening of an alley. Maybe I should cross the road and go on the other side of the road because it's safer. It's right. just, it's just, it's profiling. It really is. And that's what we're meant to do. It's how we stay alive. Right. And it's and when you're looking for certain crimes or certain activity, you, especially when you got some experience on, you know what to look for, and you can mm-hmm. skip over. Yeah. If people are stealing wheelchairs. You know where to look. Exactly. You know, guys that need wheelchairs. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Right. Hey, yeah, go to those exactly. guys first. You know. Is yeah. Jack drinking tonight? Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I uh, saw those snaps in the keg in his garage. That's right, yeah. Roll it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's good. So, that's I, uh, you know, and to be respectful of time, but I, I did want to ask this. So, I mean, you did the drug task force. You, you had that. You said 2015 you took that 2000, over? September of 2015 I took that over. After after doing a short stint for a little over a year back in 07. Ten years prior. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, um, going on to that, when, when did you, like, realize or get an inkling that, you know, I I might want to give the sheriff thing a crack, not just do the the straight law enforcement side. You know, of it. I, I guess what, what I, I started talking about it four or five years ago, um, seriously, and um, started thinking about it, and then I started uh, having the rest of the the office, the rest of the deputies, investigators, supervisors, encourage me to say we want you to run when Brad's done. So, um, if I didn't have the the people I work with want me to run, I wouldn't have. Um, yeah. But uh, that's. That's kind of mean thought, a lot. Well, holy crap! Yeah, it was in a that good respect, feeling. You know, um, it was pretty. I would tell you what, it was nerve wracking um, making the announcement, and um, it was a long year. I can so, tell you that. So for, for yeah. so for somebody that's listening to this podcast, maybe they don't even live in Blue Earth County, right? But they want to support law enforcement, and they want to say that they want to do more. They want to do more than just say, "Hey, I support the blue line" or whatever yeah. it may be. How how can somebody go out and support their local sheriff's department, yeah. their local police department? How does somebody do that as just a regular, average, everyday citizen? Be great. a good citizen. <laughs> yeah, great question. Be a good citizen. And then when you hear someone uh, spreading false narrative about law enforcement, say something to them. Don't just let them say it and you know, shake your head. Call them out on it yeah. and tell them that's not true and tell them why. Yeah. Because uh, that's especially if it's a kid. 
someone that's still um, you can still influence. Yeah, formidable. Yeah. Well, and I, I'd, I'd say too, I'd say tongue in cheek, be a good citizen, but uh, try and be a, a good person intentionally with and live with intention on that side of it because most of the biggest problems that law enforcement deal with are, are uh, areas in people's personal lives that they've either neglected or been abused by or somebody else has you know abused and neglected them and let them down that that path to where all of a sudden law enforcement's got to deal with them now because there's nothing else because they've been ignored them. for years yes yeah, yeah. Or, or or you know never uh, never, you know, uh, invested in from their family's level or from their community level. And then we put law enforcement in the unfortunate situation of having to deal with them at their worst moments or at Absolutely. their worst times, uh, committing some of the worst crimes sometimes or dealing with some of the worst addiction at times. And so, you know, if, again, I'm not, not law enforcement, but man, when I think about it is how do I help law enforcement? It's like, how do I help my community? It's, I raise good kids. You know, I, I, I teach them to respect others. I, I teach them to have healthy habits. I teach them about addiction. I teach them about uh, the crime that's out there, you know, and, and to, to respect and appreciate the community we have and uh, to help improve that and make it better than what it is currently, not just to rest on our laurels and say, you know what, as long as I don't tell a cop to go fuck himself today, that makes me a good citizen. It's like, I'm not telling you to go fuck yourself. Right. Hey, write that down, Jake. Jake. Yeah. Times two. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know? yeah. And the great point, Mike, um, teach him a work ethic. Yeah. You know, you don't have to teach him to kiss a cop's you know, rear end every time you see them, but, you know, teach them a work ethic and, and to not break the law because um, out of all, okay, if I say all, I'm going to get, you know, in trouble. Out of most, most of the s- situations that go bad, it's because that person drew attention to law enforcement by breaking the law or not listening to what he's being told to do. Yeah. Um, think that's what lawyers are for, right? Exactly. Even if you don't like how the stop's going, yep. take your ticket, take or your lump, we'll just go don't do, it, do it in yeah. the first place. Yeah. Well, that's why I say be good or be good at it, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, Jeff, again, we can't thank you enough for being here tonight and uh, helping us out with the podcast. We always like to wrap up the show with uh, three questions. So uh, first and foremost, if you could go back in time and tell uh, little Jeff anything, give yourself one piece of advice, knowing now, what would that be? Um, probably not to take stuff so seriously. Um, yeah, I stressed out about I stressed out about the little stuff, and I'm still guilty of that. I'm getting better at it, but uh, to try to... Not take stuff so seriously would probably be the first thing. Take, do you think? Do you take things personal sometimes? I do. Yeah. I do, and I. It's gotta uh, be hard yeah. not to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a, I have a, uh, I know a manager who always says, "Don't let uh, perfection be the death of good enough." Yeah. Which I always think is that's a horrible idea, <laughs> but or, he's right in some cases. Or my grandpa used to tell me, "Don't sweat the petty stuff; just pet the sweaty stuff." Might <laughs> <laughs> yeah. have why, to write the time down, Jay. Uh, that's why, uh, you know, I always say, uh, "Grandparents and grandkids get along so well because they have a common enemy." <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, if you could do it all over again, would you do it the same way? I would. Yeah. Yep, I would. I, I think uh, I'm pretty proud of you know starting out as a you know. A, young stupid cop in North Mankato till now I, I think I did everything I don't think I, I wouldn't do anything different no I wouldn't I don't and honestly I can say I don't know too many people in, in the area except for there's probably a few just down the road that I probably oh, there's probably they're a not, few that they're not uh, that they're not real proud of you but I'd you know, say there's a, there's are. a lot of people who I've arrested and dealt with over the years who I you know you'd think they would hate you but you know we're friends and, and, yeah. they, they're, yeah. and that means a lot so yeah. just do it everybody's got, everybody's got a job to do so yep. uh, final question lighter note what's your favorite barbecue food not the stuff I make. Um, Noted. Yeah, no. I get sick of it. Um, uh, ribs. 
Yeah. Ribs, but as long as someone else made them. Love ribs. Ribs. Yeah. We're on a ribs streak. Ribs, yeah, ribs, ribs are the way to go. Ribs yeah. are hot. Rum. Ribs are definitely the way to go. I really thought brisket would hang in a little better. But well, brisket's hard to make, and it's it's it, expensive. If you blow it's, it, it's e- tricky. Easy brisket's to eat. Good too. Yeah. yeah, brisket's good, too, but yeah. I'm, if, I go, if I go to a different town to try their barbecue, I'm trying their ribs. For sure. That's the way to go. Uh, but real quick, Jake, before yeah. you do your, your closing thing. Yeah, sorry, Jack. But I just, just want to say it, you know, appreciate you as you know a, a person but as a, a a local servant i mean not everybody gets into or has to get into local government to get into that politics to put your hat in the ring just to run um you know not do it on the, the county side but doing it on the local city side i know all the time that, that takes away and then you got to do your regular duties but well, same just, same to you mike just to put your hat in that ring man um we need people that care about the community stepping into those local government roles because no matter you know, everyone gets focused on the state, and they get focused on the federal side, but, you know, 75% of the things that make our community great and that make this, this country run is all done on the local level, and people get so fixed on the horizon while, while we need to get good people that, that have a little bit of a lived history, that, that have some, you know, human experience, that uh, aren't, you know, perfect Boy Scouts along the way or Girl Scouts along the way that get into those roles to help maintain this country uh, to continue to be what it was for us when we're growing up and to improve it for our kids man so i can't say thank you enough on that side outside the law enforcement but get involved in that role man thank you and we appreciate it thank you you guys blues county sheriff jeff worsell thanks for being with us on strength from service today thank you let's get a couple of get a jail free cards too passed out yeah Yeah, those are those are hard to come by aren't they (laughs) thanks for joining us for another edition of strength from service Questions, comments, concerns, or if you'd like to suggest a guest for the Strength From Service podcast, please email us strengthfromservice at gmail.com. This is the Strength From Service podcast.